0: Well, well, well. To those third, welcome. It's great to meet you. And um, to the two-thirds, whatever. And uh, so, just kidding. Hey, it's great to be here at Southridge. I always enjoy coming here. You know, I, I get to travel all over the United States speaking, and I always get nervous when I speak in different places like that. But when I come here, I'm not nervous. It's like home. It's like a family thing. So this is kind of cool. So I enjoy coming here. I really do. And um, for those of you who don't know um, uh, anything about me or anything, I, uh, I have been, I've been married for 28 years. I have four kids and two grandkids. And so um, we're just loving life. We, get, we love what we do. We love... Being here, we love Troy and Jen. We've been friends, as he mentioned, for a long, long time. And we had a great time this weekend at the encounter. Tree. I had a good time. And so it was just a wonderful weekend. And so we're just excited to be here. And uh, just, um, Troy, thanks. I know you only have so many Sundays that you get to share, and giving up a Sunday, I know it's kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, it is what it is. And uh, so, but thanks for allowing me to share this Sunday. So we've been talking on this series on fear. And, um, and so today, uh, uh, Pastor Troy asked me to come and share on the fear of rejection, and uh, so it's good to have people here to actually hear this. If it was a, uh, no one was in the audience, it'd be tough on me to do that, you know, talking about rejection and no one comes to listen to me. But anyway, so we're just delighted to have you, and uh, so we want to talk about this. The title of the message is uh, uh, Fear of Rejection, The Walking Dead. That'll make sense here in just a moment. So how many of you are ready just to allow God to speak to your hearts, just say yes, Yes, okay, let's do that together then if we could. Uh, the theme verse or the key verse, 2 Timothy 1.7, most of us are familiar with that, simply says this, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of self-control. Now the one thing that occurs to me about that verse, that key verse that we're, we're kind of engaging in over the last couple weeks and over the next week or so is that fear does not come from God. God did not give us this, this fear thing. And it's not just a, uh, an emotion, it's not just a feeling, but it's actual, it actually affects our spirit. It's a spirit of fear. It's something from the enemy that comes to affect our lives. But God did not give us this spirit of fear, but he did give us weapons to fight it. And he says right here, he says he gave us weapons of power, which we allow him to work through us, and then he gives us the weapon of love and then self-control, which means that there's a responsibility on my part, too. I have a responsibility. I get His power and His love working through me, but I've got to have the self-control in the midst of those things to be able to accomplish that. And so, uh, so let's look at this. Now, I do have to admit today, even in the midst of this powerful preacher up here that's talking about God does not give us fear, that I do have three fears in my life. And uh, so we're all vulnerable. I do have uh, one fear is a fear of birds. I hate birds. And um, it's a tragic story. I don't have time to go into details now, but it, uh, it almost cost my life. But anyway, and... Um, not really, but close. But anyway, so um, I do. I hate horses. That's my second fear. I do not like horses. And I know. It's crazy. I know. But again, another tragic moment when I was at a petting zoo and one bit me. And uh, so I have the scars, not here, but in here. And um, so that's my second fear. And the third fear that I have is uh, fear of honey lists. I do not like honey lists. I fear when they come my way, for that means that my Saturday is gone. So, um... But I, those three fears, no. So, and I I, think, I suppose I have other fears as well. How many of you would be honest and say, you know, occasionally I de- deal with a fear of some kind? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. Some of you are like, I'm afraid to raise my hand. I, um, there are uh, there other kind of fears. They're kind of interesting, th- these fears. Here's a couple on the screen, uh, Christine. if you could show us. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the word, but this first one, peer, fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. That's a crazy fear. I guess people really have. these. These are real fears. The next one is fear of books. So if you're a teenager here, you can go to your teacher tomorrow morning, and say, You know what, I've got this fear of books, and it's legit. And I'll show you the word for it right here, and, and the teacher may excuse you from all your homework for the rest of your life. That'd be cool. So, the next one here is uh, fear of words, fear of long words, which is ironic that that's the longest word up there. But uh, these are legitimate fears. You can look them up. And uh, this next one, you might, this one might be yours, fear of sermons, this next one here. Um, and hopefully, it's not today the fear for you, but. Uh, Next one, I love this one, is the fear of your stepmother. <laughs> I have that fear <laughs> in my life. I guess I have four fears. This next one, no one has this fear. This one here, fear of theaters. I don't think anyone has that fear because uh, you're here. But anyway, you know, we kind of laugh at some of these fears, but for some people, these are legitimate fears. I mean, these are things that they deal with, and it's, they seem kind of uh, harmless to, to many of us or, or kind of, uh, we say, well, I don't really battle with those, but... Um, But there's one fear I think that everyone in life deals with or has dealt with at some point or is dealing with or will deal with. I think it's one of those fears that's just going to be a constant in life because we interact with people and some people are going to not like us or not accept us. And so therefore, we're going to have this rejection. And so as a result, we're all going to and all have dealt with this fear of rejection. Let me tell you a little bit about my background. When I was uh, back back in 1961, my mom uh, went on a blind date with this guy and uh, her name, Linda, and then this other guy, and she had never met him. And this couple, George and Helen, who were dating, set up my mom and this guy on this date. And some of you have heard me tell this story before, but I think it just, it's appropriate for what we're talking about. And uh, so this blind date, well, before the date started, this guy, this uh, guy that was on this blind date with my mom, came to George and said, I'm going to make a $5 bet that I can have sex with Linda before the night's over. And before the night was over, he won the bet, and nine months later, I was born. And so I am an illegitimate child. When my dad found out that my mom was pregnant back in uh, June of 1961, he uh, left. He didn't want anything to do with a pregnant 19-year-old woman. And so I grew up Uh, For those first couple years, not really having a dad Not really know anything about my dad I still don't know anything about my dad Don't know if he's living or dead Or uh, what he looks like or anything like that And uh, my mom later got married And then had my brother And then they got divorced And then my mom got married again And had my two sisters And then they got divorced And then my mom got married again So growing up in life, I've had four different fathers All those verses in the Bible that talk about your forefathers I know exactly what those verses are talking about and uh, so, you know, my first dad, he abandoned me. He didn't want anything to do with that. My second dad was an undercover narcotics agent, and one day he went out. He would work his way into gangs and find out who was leading selling the drugs, and somebody found out about that. One day he went not start his car. It blew up killed him instantly. Um, my third dad was uh, alcoholic, abusive. I would come home from school, and he'd be uh, sitting on top of my mom in the living room beating her. Uh, my mom would say to go to the neighbor's house until he was done. So I was seeing all these things. My fourth dad, uh, one day I was coming in from playing outside and he just got married to my mom. I thought, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the real one. This is going to really work this time and came inside and uh, turned the corner to go to my room and uh, just out of the corner of my eye, saw, I looked over and there's my dad in bed with the neighbor lady from across the street. So I've seen everything when it comes to father's abandonment. I've seen abuse, alcoholism. I've seen murder. I've seen uh, uh, unfaithfulness. I've seen all these things happen in my life. And you know how cool God is in the midst of all this. I'm now 19 years of age. I'm going to University of Nebraska at Lincoln. But on the weekends, I'm living in Omaha with a couple. Guess who the couple is? George and Helen. They'd gotten married. And um, see, all my life, my mom had always told me that my mom and dad were married. I didn't know that, that they had never been married. And, but George knew that because he had made the bed. And one day, I'm 19 years old now. I'm out on the steps uh, one summer evening with, uh, with George talking. And uh, he tells me the story about... This bet and all. I think after 19 years of just kind of keeping that in, and then now the outcome of that bet is living in your home. It's kind of overwhelming. So he tells me the story and uh, he says this to me, he says, and you look just like your father. Well, I've never seen my dad, never seen a picture of him, never never had any kind of encounter with him at all. So immediately I got up and I ran into the bathroom and I looked into the mirror, and for the first time in my life I saw a picture of my father. And it was at that point in my life that I realized just how good-looking he really was. <laughs> I'm not sure why you're laughing right now. But, <laughs> but you know, I, I guess the point of telling that is not for you to feel sorry for me or anything. I, you know, that's, that's way in the past and, and, and all, and things like that happen. And I'm not here to compare war stories because the fact is that some of you in here, your war story is much, much harsher than that. What I am saying is, is that all of us deal with this thing called rejection. A dad that didn't want you, a dad that wasn't there. When I was in ninth grade, I did get adopted by my father, my current father, and uh, he adopted us. And so I kind of understand this whole thing about God's adoption of us as children a little bit and how God the Father would want us to be in his family because I, I saw that happen after all these dads had kind of rejected and, and so on and so forth. So first, first of all, let me just kind of digress for a moment. If you're a single mom in here, let me just say that I totally believe in what you're doing, and I understand it's difficult. I grew up in that environment for much of my life. I just want you to know that I believe in you, and I just want to encourage you today because God can turn around and take your child or children and turn them around and and turn them, and make good out of what, what's happened. And, um, and if you're one of those like me, because I sometimes have people come up and say, my story's kind of like yours. I just want you to know there's hope in Christ and that he can help turn your life around as well. We don't have to live with rejection like this in our lives, see? We don't have to go through life saying, well, this is who I am, or this is how I've been defined through life. You see, I understand this whole thing of rejection, and rejection has been shown to be as painful as physical pain in our life. We may not believe that, but some of us struggle physically as a result of the rejection that has been brought upon us, and as a result of rejection, and watch how, watch how rejection affects so many other areas of our life. People that I've talked to and even feelings that I've had over the years that I've had to deal with and go through in this thing called rejection. Fear of failure. If I'm rejected, I don't want to attempt anything new for fear of the failing and someone else rejecting me. Then there's the fear of abandonment, which is huge in our society today. Did you realize that for the first time in our history, in the United States history, over 50% of all births are out of wedlock? That's, That's staggering. And women under 30... 66% are out of wedlock. We're raising an orphan generation. We're raising a generation that's not sure if someone is going to be there for them. So this is huge, this fear of abandonment. Then you have loneliness. You have stress. Stress is huge. Uh, The number one killer, the number one reason people die is right there, stress. It affects heart disease. It affects all the cancer. It affects all kinds of things like that because of the stress we live with. And this, the reason, part of the reason we have the stress is because this thing called rejection. We allow the rejection to grab hold of our lives and to cling to us, and 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 not do anything to let it, to to get rid of it. And then worry, of course, depression and worry. My wife is kind of uh, a little fearful, more fearful than I am in some ways, and she tends to worry a lot. Anybody tend to worry a little bit more than yeah, a couple of you. And uh, my wife's kind of like that. She worries about things. So when we're facing a situation. Because I read this stat recently that 90% of things you worry about never happen. So when we're facing a situation, I tell my wife to go ahead and start worrying about it because there's a chance it's not going to happen then. And so <laughs> she always laughs too, but then she hits me. Do um, you know, really, it, really, about 90% of the stuff that we worry about never really happens. But, we, but that doesn't diminish the feelings we have about worry. And so rejection is not just this rejection that we walk through. We walk through with lots of different emotions that kind of tag on to that. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning, to you. How many decisions in your life have been affected by this thing called rejection? Because we tend to what we do is we say, well, I- I'm afraid I'll be rejected here. So so therefore, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do This. And suddenly we find ourselves making decisions based upon the reaction of others or how we think others will react or whether they'll abandon us or whether they'll, you know, and all these things begin to happen in our lives like that. You see, searching for acceptance or making compromises only leads to more rejection. Some of us have experienced that in life where we've, we've gone through life and said, well, you know, I'm tired of being rejected in life by others, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to maybe do this instead. And I'm going to make a compromise on my life values, or I'm going, to, I'm going to maybe take a shortcut here, or maybe I'm going to search for acceptance in other ways, only to find out that as we do these things, it only leads to more rejection. And so suddenly this vicious cycle begins to attack us where we're going through life on this roller coaster ride. We're not sure when and if it ever ends. We're, it, 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 and, and as we're going through it, we realize that suddenly all these different things are happening and it seems like we're sinking deeper and deeper in this thing called rejection. And now we're afraid to really step out and do anything in our lives. And for some of us, because of some of the decisions we've made as a result of rejection, we start to feel shame and guilt and different things in our lives. So you see the viciousness of this cycle called rejection. Where we go through life now and we say, well, you know what, God could never really love me or God could never really do anything through me because of this, which was because of this, which was because of rejection. And it continues to spiral down in that way. So in our search for acceptance and our search for how do we get rid of this thing called rejection, what we want is we want five steps to overcoming rejection. We want to read the latest book on seven ways to reject rejection, or we want three points to help us navigate the path of rejection. We want, we want an easy way out of this thing, we want, you know, just principles and, and, and things that we can read about and help us in those things. And, and I'm not suggesting that there aren't good books out there that can help us. I'm not suggesting that there aren't good people out there that can help walk us through some of these things. Those are all needed. But what I need in my life, what I've needed in my life in this thing called rejection, is not seven steps or five principles. What I've needed in my life is a person who understands rejection, who walked through rejection, that can help me and his name is Jesus. And I don't mean to minimize that. Please don't don't underestimate what I'm talking about. So let's look at the text here, The Walking Dead. This is a great story about how Jesus came into the life of someone who was facing ultimate rejection on every front and all of the the, the emotions and feelings we just talked about. And let's watch how Jesus dealt with this one individual. In Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1, it's a longer text, but I think it's worthy of reading the entire part. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot, but he tore his chains apart and broke his irons on his feet. I want you to notice how many times the word tomb or chains or bondage or or tied up are all in those first few verses. This was a man who lived in torment. And it wasn't one day he woke up, and said, you know, today I think I'm just going to go live on the beach here, and I'm just going to just be this wild, crazy man. Something, a process of life brought him, and now he's dealing with all these emotions here in this way. And let's continue on. It says, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This guy was miserable. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Interesting how he even thought that Jesus had come to torture him. That's how far this had gone in this man's mind. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And my name is Legion, he said, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again to send him out of the area, or not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out of the man and went into the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 in number rushed down a steep bank into the lake and were drowned. By the way, this is the first account here we see where these pigs flew um, over the cliff into the uh, water. This is the first account biblically we see of swine flu. So I just wanted to make you aware of that right there. Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. Now watch this. And they were now afraid. What happened? This was a transformation. Something happened here. This guy did not read five principles how to overcome rejection, didn't read the seven steps, he didn't understand the three points. But he met a man who was able to come Who understood rejection and was able to come to this man and say, I want to set you free. See? And then those who had seen it told people what had happened in the demon possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Isn't it interesting that in the midst of coming to set a man free, they are now rejecting Jesus, the very man who came to set the man free? Jesus, in the midst of doing good, was still rejected. But he kept focused on the mission that was in front of him. That's very important. We'll get to that in a moment. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting back in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis. The Decapolis was a region of about 10 cities. It was a big area. How much Jesus had done, and all the people were amazed. Now, this man lived among the tombs. He, uh, you know, there was tombs all around him. This, he, he was the walking dead. He would cut himself. He would, he would try literally to just scream out in pain and agony walking amongst the dead here. I wonder if any of these tombs were represented there. This first one here, it says, on the tombstone in New Mexico. These are actual tombstones, epitaphs. Here lies Johnny East. Pardon me for not rising. <laughs> this one here, it says, here lies Lester Moore, four slugs from a 44. No less, no more. I like these next two here. It says, Jedediah Goodwin. Auctioneer born 1828, going, going, gone 1876. My favorite, the one I'm gonna have put on it. See, I told you I was sick. But this guy had, he lived among the tombs. I mean, he, he, this is, this was his world. And you know, sometimes those of us who are dealing and struggling with rejection, we find ourselves isolating ourselves, secluding ourselves, not wanting to be around people. We finally, we finally come to a place, maybe not quite the extreme of this story, but we find ourselves living amongst things that aren't real, really, real and aren't really living. We find ourselves separating ourselves. And the enemy will use rejection in our lives. Watch this. The enemy will use rejection in our lives to do two things, to isolate us from God and from people. The very thing Jesus said come are the two most important things in life, love God, love people. The enemy knows that, and he will use rejection to separate us from God and from people because then we can't love God and people, and God can't love us, and people can't love us, or at least we won't feel that way rejection separates us you know when genesis when god was creating he created the plants and the animals and all these things and he said it's good it's good it's good it's good it's good the first time god said it's not good he created man and he realized man was alone and he said this is not good it was the first time god realized part of his creation was not good and what did he do he brought a woman in for that man in other words he never meant for us to live life by ourselves he never meant for us to be secluded isolated he wants us with other people. You say, well, I don't like to be around a lot of people because of rejection. And suddenly we find ourselves making decisions based upon that very thing. And I just want to encourage us this morning that in the midst of whatever kind of rejection that we've had, and we've all faced this, every single one of us in this room, no one is secluded from this. Different levels, yes, but all the same, we've, we've, we face rejection. In the midst of that, what if we were to say, you know what, God? What if I begin to take some of the rejection and some of the things I'm feeling in my own life and I begin to focus on others who are going through some of the same things because every person I come in contact with has faced at one time of their life a battle of rejection, at least one time. So what if I kind of just took the eyes off of what I was going through and I began to step out and I begin to focus on others and the rejection they were going through? Because you know what? Here's the, here's the reality of this. People that we come in contact with don't need seven principles, five steps, three points. They need a person who's going or has gone through rejection that can help them. You say, well, I have nothing to offer. I'm struggling with this. How am I going to help somebody else? The very fact that you're willing to come into the life of another person and say, hey, I accept you just the way you are. You don't have to prove anything to me. I accept you, and I believe in you just the way you are. Already, half the battle's won for that individual. That's what Jesus did. I want you, if you look at the story, you realize he crossed the lake The Sea of Galilee, he crossed that, at least the seven-mile crossing. He comes to this one man, he sets him free, then he gets back in the boat and he crosses back to the other side of the lake. In other words, Jesus went 14 miles at least in a boat for this one man to be set free. And then he says, now go back and tell everybody else. In other words, let's not focus on your past. Let's focus on what I've just done through you and what you can now do for other people. The cool part about this is is that I realize in the midst of all the rejection in my own life, all the things I've struggled through in my own life, I now have purpose. I now have a reason to be able to say, you know what, God, that's an ugly past. I don't like it. But the fact is, is that my future is going to be far better than my past. I don't have to let my past dictate my future. I can let my past help forge into a greater future than ever before if I allow it. I met this girl who was up in Washington State a couple weeks ago. I met this girl. She's about 35 years of age, and she's a youth leader. Now, she works in her student ministry in her church. And I was just saying, hey, tell me a little bit about your story. And we had about a two- or three-hour van ride, and there was a bunch of us in there, and so we were just chatting. And I said, tell me a little bit about your story. and Because uh, it came across when she was talking. She had had a daughter, and I realized that she was a young girl when she would had a daughter by just doing the math and all. She said, yeah, I, I, uh, there, I was dating this drug dealer who was actually supplying drugs to my parents. And so we were dating... And I got pregnant when I was 16 years of age, and I had a, a little girl. And uh, then he left, this drug dealer left. My parents, you know, my dad is now dead. My, my mom is just messed up and so on and so forth. And, and uh, I said, how in the world did you go from that to working in a, in a church with teenagers in a, in a youth, as a youth leader? She begins to tell me this story. And she says, I know people will look at me with this, you know, being 16 years of age, having a child out of wedlock, and so on and so forth. She's now married and has a, a couple other kids and, and uh, to, a wonderful, to a wonderful man of God. And, but she said, I know people will look at me and they'll judge me. I know people will not accept me because of that background. I get that. But my focus is on helping other teenagers now who are dealing with s- similar situations. That's my focus. I can focus on my past if I want to, but I choose to focus here where God sent me. I have a different focus now. She said one time this young girl came up to her and said, she, she could tell this young teenage girl was struggling. She said, what's going on? And it took her a long time for this girl to finally open up. And the, the young girl said, well, you wouldn't understand. You see, I've, I've got a family. My sister does drugs. And she, there's needles all over the floor in her bedroom. If you walk through, you've got to be careful where you step. And she's always, you know, out of it. She's always high. She's always, but you wouldn't understand that. And the youth leader looked back and said, I totally understand that. Could it be that maybe, just maybe, watch this, in the midst of whatever rejection we're going through, that God would want to begin to send you to people who you understand to help them walk through? See, it's just about focus. It's about taking eyes off of me and my situation and saying, you know, because the fact is, guys, we're all, we all get rejected at times. All of us do. So we look at Jesus' response to this. You see, principles cannot set you free. Principles will not be able to, you need a person who gets it. Look at what 1 Peter 2, 4 says. It says this, as you come to him, meaning Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans. How would you like that for your legacy? Here's Jesus, who is known as someone who's rejected by humans. People reject him every day, and yet he continues to love and go after people. So don't be surprised if you are rejected from a close friend or a family member. Don't be surprised if you're rejected by a group of friends or co-workers. Don't be surprised if you're even rejected by someone who doesn't even know you. It all happened to Jesus. It's going to happen to us because that's part of life. I want you to know that Jesus was rejected by a close friend, one of his own followers. When, when he needed his disciples the most, they ran. And then he was rejected by the people, even to the point of crucifixion on a cross. He gets this thing called rejection, but it never, he never allowed it to deter him from his mission. And that was you and me. You see, Jesus never allowed the rejection of others to deter his life mission. He didn't focus on what others were thinking. He said, you know what? This is why I'm here to help and to love others. Never allow someone else to define your world for when they do, it will always be too small. And some of us go through life and we've, had, we've, we've been hit with rejection from all sides and we begin to feel small in our life. We begin to feel like, you know what? They're right. Yeah, that's right. I'll never be and I'll never. And, and all of a sudden our world becomes very small. It was like the man on this little beach front living amongst the tombs. That was his whole world. That's all he knew. And over time, and watch this, here's a guy who the only time people came in contact with him was to bind him. And it's a very real fear that some of us face at times when we feel like the only time people are ever coming toward us is to define our world even smaller, to make it smaller. And if I go through life thinking that, it's probably going to end up that way, because I'm going to begin to look for signs of rejection from others. But what if I did this? Rather than looking and focusing on what others are maybe signals they're maybe sending to me, what if I begin to say, you know what, God, Everyone, every person I come in contact with is facing a battle, and I don't know how big that battle is, but I do know that you've sent me to help others who are facing those strong battles, and it probably somewhere has to do with this root of rejection somewhere in their life. I get it. I understand it, and I can be there to help them and focus on them. My mission keeps me focused on the pain of others, rejection. My mission now becomes to stay focused. I'm going to cross a lake. I'm going to help someone. I'm going to cross a lake and help someone else. My mission keeps me focused. I want you to notice this, this, the last couple of verses in this text. It says that Jesus was getting to the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. In other words, he's saying, hey, you've just set me free. Can I go with you? And Jesus says, no, ha, rejection. I mean, you know, you just got done with this thing. You're like... Really because you know I just came out of this thing and you hit but now really I'm starting over again No, watch what jesus does. He says that's not your mission Your mission is much bigger If I let you come with me right now You'll be a part but it won't be the big mission that I have for you planned He says this watch this Go home and tell your people how much the lord has done and how he's had mercy on you So he went away to the decapolis to the a 10 city region That's a big world. In other words, could it be in the midst of the rejection that you and I are facing that God wants to expand our world to reach others who are going through similar situations? Could it be that God would want to take your background? I find it interesting. I was born without a dad, I was adopted. And now God is using me to minister to teenagers. I primarily speak to teenagers. All over this country, who are growing up orphaned teenagers without dads, and they need to hear that they have a father who wants to adopt them. I find it interesting, more than interesting, that God would maybe want to use my past to be a catalyst for my future, to help others in some way. Daron, if you would come on up, if you would, and as we kind of close this, I brought this little box here. The box is nothing. It's got this little bell. There was this strange disease back in the 1500s that would slow one's heartbeat and breathing enough that upon inspection, the afflicted person would indeed seem quite dead. When England began to run out of room to bury recently deceased people, they dug up the coffins of people who had long been deceased, removing their bones from the coffins and reusing that grave site. They had so many people dying with the plagues and all. When opening the coffins of long ago buried bodies, they noticed that about one out of every 25 coffins had scratch marks on the inside of the coffin. People that had actually been buried alive, but they thought were dead. The town folks began to, uh, as the, uh, the town folks had been burying the people while they were still alive. So, to avoid any more people being buried alive, a string would be tied to the wrist of each corpse, threaded through the coffin, up through the ground, and tied to a bell. Someone would have to sit in the graveyard all night and listen for the bell to ring just in case the corpse was really not a corpse. Hence the phrases, saved by the bell, dead ringer, and graveyard shift. That's where those terms come from. Amongst the tombs. Maybe you've gone through life dealing with this thing called rejection. Rejection. And maybe you feel like, you know what, I'm living amongst the tombs, I'm I'm the walking dead. What if today I said there's a bell and there's a second chance at life? That you're not dead, you've just experienced some rejection in your life, as we all have. And God wants to repurpose your mission. He wants to take you to a place where he says, God, others gave up on me but I'm going to scratch and claw and believe that you're going to set me free because I have mission, and I'm going to stay focused on the mission. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Jesus, I, first of all, I just want to say thank you. I want to say thank you, Jesus, that you have given each of us a second chance at life. I want to say thank you, Jesus, that you have come into my life personally. And you have set me free. You've come to my beachfront property. You've come to my life living amongst the tombs, the walking dead. And you have brought life to me. And Jesus, you have done that to so many in this room this morning. And we're grateful. Because we realize, God, it's not going to be a book that saves us. It's not going to be a series of sessions with someone that's going to save us. Those things are helpful. But God, it's going to be you ultimately that transforms our life and helps us get focused on the mission in front of us. So, Father, I want to pray for my friends here this morning who are really struggling and dealing with this thing called rejection. That in the midst of that, God, in the midst of that, that you would bring life Bring them up from that place called the tombs to a place called the Decapolis where they can walk into a place and say, this is what Jesus has done in my life. And I understand what you're facing. And I'm here to help. And I thank you, Father, for that.